despite all the the wild, turbulent uh, market dynamics that we're seeing and, and inflation and things like that, it's still a great time to be a founder. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And breaking news right now, the latest monthly inflation numbers are out. The consumer price index for June, including food and energy costs, rose 1.8% last month. It rose 9.1% since June of last year. That number is higher than forecast, which called for an 8.8% increase. My office calendar, and yeah, I still use a paper calendar, has birthdays and meeting times and golf tea times scrawled on it. But today's date is just marked CPI day, the inflation numbers. Prices rose 9.1% from this time last year, way more than expected. I am Bill Petty. I'm a, a partner at an investment advisory firm, Tercera. I called Bill to see what advice he's giving his clients. You know, inflation is not a dirty word. Um, and so we encourage our portfolio companies to talk to their clients about inflation and, and ask them how they're dealing with it. Obviously, this needs to be done in the right way, at the right time. And you don't want to call a client out of the blue and lead with this. But if you're doing a good job of managing your most important client relationships, you can find a natural point to say, hey, John, hey, Jane, you know, how are you guys feeling the impact of inflation? And a lot of times they may say, yeah, it's really bad. And we're thinking about price increases or we, we just passed price increases. And when they say that, they just open the door for the easiest, most natural point in time for you to raise the topic. So I think step one is just find the right opportunity to talk about it. And when you're saying you're, when you're seeing, you know, being delicate about it because you are going to raise prices on them. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, <laughs> the punchline, but it, it shouldn't feel as uh, it shouldn't feel controversial or adversarial. If, if you're talking to an enterprise client and they're saying that they're having to pass on price increases to their clients because their input cost, whatever it may be, if it's labor, if it's raw materials, if that's rising, they're going to have to pass on their price increases. Everybody's in the same boat here. Um, and so it, it, it's finding ways to identify win-win conversations and win-win solutions. Rate hikes, uh, you know, we're watching them. Um, doesn't seem like the Fed is going fast enough to catch up. When you read the notes from the each of the Federal Reserve members, 
they talk about this range of a Fed funds target rate of two and a half percent to just over three percent as being neutral. It's not going to stimulate growth. It's not going to contract growth in the economy. Well, we're we're pretty far away from that right now, and that implies that there's quite a bit of movement still required to get to that neutral zip code. And if you if you follow the futures market at all, like like I do, you know the, the futures market expects the federal funds rate to be at two point eight percent by the end of the year. What is it? Inflation that worries you most in your industry? What worries you most in your industry? Um, it's actually not inflation. And so we focus on investing in professional services businesses, what we call, um, you know, third wave cloud consultancies. And the biggest challenge that our portfolio companies face and that any company we meet with faces is talent. There is so much more demand for technology talent than there is supply. And inflation has an impact on the cost of that talent, but it's it's not the the leading issue that, that we're talking about with our portfolio companies. Do you see that solution coming anytime soon? Uh, no, I think uh, you know domestically, the technology talent market is going to be tight for a very very long time, potentially a decade or more. Uh, one of the the best solutions to the domestic talent shortage is embracing a global diversified delivery model. And so in each of our portfolio companies, we encourage them and offer a lot of assistance in opening up delivery centers in Latin America. And that's been a really successful and attractive avenue for us to date. Yeah, I know. It's it's an interesting time. Nathan Beckford, CEO at Foundersuite. It's been so long that we've been in a low inflation environment that I, I don't know if the impact has really hit the startup market yet. Now, to be fair, a lot of startups are operating in virtual worlds. They don't have physical prices. They're, they're you know, we've got some that are, are making food products and things like that. So they're clearly being affected not only by inflation, but even the higher price of grain because of the Russia-Ukraine conflict and things like that, right? I mean, some of this stuff is impacting them. I don't think it's really hit the virtual goods, the metaverse startups, the SaaS startups. You know, only the labor portion is starting to impact a little bit. So I guess my point is I don't think it's really hit yet. Um, and, you know, this higher inflation continues and we'll see it a few months from now, I think. But even companies that aren't affected by inflation may be affected by its side effects. For instance, as Bill noted, the Fed raising interest rates to slow the economy. Theoretically, that should not affect the capital in venture capital. But VC worry about recession, Fed-driven or otherwise, just as any industry does. And then add to that a summer slowdown. It's a stereotype, but it's not that investors go take off for two months to their their villa in, uh, in, in Italian <laughs> Riviera or whatever, you know. Um, uh it's it's not impossible. I have seen startups raise money. I think once you get into August, it becomes pretty much impossible. You know, fundraising does have some seasonality where a lot of fundraising happens right after all the investors get back from Burning Man. So right after Labor Day until, call it Thanksgiving, Christmas, there's a lot of deals happen. Christmas break happens. And then, you know, January, 
12th or something when everyone's back from skiing at Tahoe, there's another wave of deal activity. So there, there is some seasonality to this. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Think about stereotypes is sometimes they're true. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what, what other, having talked to 200 plus companies that have successfully raised money, what other don'ts are out there? Yeah. I mean, there, there's so many, I think one of the don'ts is, this is kind of obvious, but maybe not to everyone, you know, don't do the spray and pray, right? There's, mm-hmm. I see a lot of founders, like even on our platform, I, I get customers come and say, Hey, you've got, I see in your database of investors, you get 10,000 SaaS investors. How do I blast a message out to all 10,000? Like you, you don't, we're not going to allow that because that's not going to help you. That's going to hurt you. You're going to get your email flagged for spam. You're going to be, you know, on people's blacklists. You know, you don't want to do that, right? So that's one common don't I see folks make. Another is a little squishier, slightly less tangible, but uh, I see founders all the time go out with just bad pitch decks. Like their deck, they'll send me their deck, like, hey, can you just look at this, see if anyone comes to mind I should be talking to? I'm like, this deck is terrible. It's confusing. (laughs) It's cluttered. I can't make heads or tails of this. And I'm giving you more attention because you're my customer and you're paying me. I'm giving you more attention span than an investor is who's going to give you 30 seconds. They're going to flip through this thing. And if it doesn't hook them right away, they're not even going to look further, right? So that's another don't. Just And the con- converse to that is make sure your pitch deck is absolutely amazing and you've practiced it with people, gotten feedback on it before you get out there and talk to investors. Nathan, by the way, has a podcast, I mean, who doesn't, called How I Raised It. We're up to like 230 some episodes. And it's literally just talking to founders who've raised money and unpacking how they did it. And believe it or not, even 230 episodes in, it's still pretty interesting. Like you hear 230 different ways startup founders have raised money. Um, it's it's not as repetitive as you might think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't number my uh, podcast episodes, so I had to go at, on a computer screen and with my finger count up all of the episodes oh, that funny. I've done, and I've come up with uh, eighty four. So nice. by the time we run this, you'll be episode eighty six. But if I could sum up what I've learned in in eighty four episodes, it would be that people in venture invest in people first and ideas second. So they bet on the team, not the problem the team is trying to to solve. Uh, Now, the downside to that, obviously, is that it ensures that the investment world can be insular, Mm -hmm. uh, that they bet on people they already know, they pattern match, and that can be exclusionary. But if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times, and that is people are betting on people and not ideas. I think that's especially... That's true, and especially true at the early stages, right? The angel, pre-seed, seed rounds. I would I would add to that a little bit. They're betting on the people and kind of the vision, right? What's this big, audacious vision that, you know, these people are putting in front of you? Um, and then, of course, that changes over each successive round. It becomes uh, more and more about, you know, the, the traction, the metrics, the financials, obviously, as you get into later stage series, a series B, you know, it's really much more of a numbers driven thing that people are investing in, but yeah, absolutely. It's about the people and and the vision and, you know, and about the pattern matching thing. I mean, I think there's definitely a bias to that, right? 
I read a statistic not too long ago. 40% of all VCs went to either Stanford or Harvard, right? 40% of the entire universe. And they're clearly looking at other Stanford uh, grads to invest in. However, I've seen a ton of emerging managers, uh, emerging venture fund managers in the sprout up in the past two years that are focused on, you know, gay and lesbian uh, or or people of color. I mean, uh, Hispanic. I mean, literally every vertical category um, now has a couple venture funds kind of pursuing that, which I think is interesting. So there's definitely a, a broader um, set of investors to, to pattern match, you know, <laughs> with. So I think that's speaking, speaking of patterns, what have you what have you noticed in your 200 plus episodes? That if you could say, well, if there's one lesson to be learned here, it's this. Yeah. So there is a obviously a selection bias in this, right? 230 founders, they've all raised money. That's how they got on this show. So they've all been successful in that. I'd say some of the patterns or, or maybe the biggest pattern I would say, I'm going to, you said one, but I'm going to say two. I'd say one is um, they're all pretty good at hustling. Like everyone on the show you know, even if they aren't a natural extrovert, they're they're good at sales and they're good at getting out there and talking to investors and getting out there and talking to a lot of investors, right? Very few people on my show came and said, oh, we talked to six investors and three of them wrote a check. Most of them talked to a healthy number of investors and kind of, you know, had a good sales bone in their body. The other thing I would say is they're also good at relationship building, almost I'd say 80% of the founders on the show had spent six months, 12 months prior to raising money, building and nurturing relationships with investors before going out to raise money. And, and that's something I don't think gets enough airtime is, you know, the more relationships you can build well in advance. Like some of them, one of the founders I was thinking was working at a startup as call it revenue officer or something like that, but he was very conscientiously getting to know the investors of that startup so that when he went out to do his own startup, he already had a network built in, right? He had kind of thought a few years ahead, started building relationships with investors and therefore had a network when it was time to go raise money for his own startup. And so that's another pattern we've seen. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Not every startup is going to go the Sandhill Road pitch deck route. Yep. Uh, there, there are creative ways to raise money out there um, that that we hadn't heard of before or that we weren't taking quite as seriously as before. Non-traditional. Yeah. Well, you know, crowdfunding obviously is an obvious one that um, is is booming, right? There's been some regulatory changes allowing startups to raise um I think it's like 1.07 million. um, And then there's another set of regulations and that's regulation CF. And then there's another one. Don't quote me on all this, but another one allows them to raise 5 million bucks. And so that's, that's obviously become a big deal. Um, We've seen, you know, we funder Republic start engine. There's, there's a dozen of these platforms that have uh, sprouted to help companies raise that. And I think that's an interesting segment. If you don't want to go raise, money from venture investors, but you have a fan base or customer base that can write $100, $500 checks, you know, that's a really interesting way to raise money. We're seeing some of these other crazy ideas, or I don't want to say crazy, but uh, <laughs> oh, go more, ahead. more out there ideas like NFTs, right? We had one startup that um, got on Telegram and they're circulating kind of a white paper and they sold NFTs. And I can't even tell you like how to do that. That's outside my <laughs> pay grade. But they finance the business by selling you know these all these NFTs. Um, you've seen SPACs, right? Which have sort yeah. of come in and out of favor pretty quickly. I would say they did come out of favor pretty fast. So I don't even know if that's a viable option anymore. But for a twelve months or so, you know, you were raising lots of money by uh, by doing a SPAC, going public, and and then going and finding a company to acquire. So those are a few more alternative methods. Um, yeah. I will be honest, you know, if, if I heard of a company that, you know, uh, had some non-traditional fundraising and I compare it to a company that, you know, got its first round from Andres and Horowitz, um, I think the company from Andres and Horowitz is going somewhere, you know, that I am naturally just drawn to, or perhaps naturally suspicious of, you know, um, well, why didn't you do it the, the traditional way? Do you think that's changing at all? I think it is changing. However, there's still huge signaling, positive signaling by raising yeah. money from Andreessen Horowitz, right? Yeah. You've got that stamp of approval that helps you hire, recruit, retain people. I mean, there's a whole bunch of pluses to getting that stamp of approval. I think there was, and maybe still is, a bit of a a negative stigma around companies who crowdfund. Like, hey, that company was not able to go raise money exactly. from Andreessen Horowitz. I think that's changing a little bit. I think it's becoming a little more accepted and that probably will will continue. I mean, there is there's a nice advantage of having a thousand of your customers also have a equity and be very enthusiastic. Enthusiastic yeah. to the point where they'll actually give you money. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Nathan's podcast is How I Raised It. And yeah, the title is an homage to Guy Raz's How I Built This. I recommend both. Next week on Sand Hill Road. My father was an immigrant from India. 
And, uh, you know, he's full on uh, American story. Never taught me Hindi. No interest in going back. And I remember when I took the bigger role in Singapore, when I first moved, he said, I can't believe I worked this hard to get to America for you to just go all the way back to Asia. And, you know, it was a laugh. And then he realized I should have taught you Hindi or at least the curse words. Sheila Patel quits 18 years at Goldman Sachs for the action of Silicon Valley. Next week, she marks one year as vice chairman at B Capital. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.